Hey friends, welcome to episode 87 of the Fierce Calling Podcast. I'm Dara Swift. I want to warmly welcome you today and thank you for joining me. I am talking with women who are taking action where their passion, compassion, and conviction intersect and using their God-given gifts to impact the world for Christ because every woman of God has a fierce calling. And that means you too, friend. So are you fascinated by true crime stories? Have you watched the show Unsolved Mysteries? Me too. But what happens when true crime intersects with true faith? And that's what we're talking about today. But first, I want to mention that Fierce Calling is part of the Spark Network. And we can be heard on the Edify app. So download the Edify app today at the Apple or Google Play stores for free and listen to some amazing Christian podcasts. So my guest today is private investigator Lori Morrison, and I want you to hear how she became a private investigator and what she means when she hopes to encourage others to be a PI too. And it's not what you think. We're talking about true crime stories, missing person stories, and Lori's podcast, The Unlovely Truth. Because although we would want everything in life to be lovely, there are a lot of unlovely and hard things in this broken world, amen? The good news is we have the good news, and that's our greatest hope. I know what Lori has to say is going to encourage, inspire, and challenge you. So listen in while I have a chat with Lori Morrison. Welcome back to the Fierce Calling Podcast. I am so excited to welcome my friend Lori Morrison today. You are going to be really enthralled with this episode, I'm sure, because she is a podcaster and she has a podcast called The Unlovely Truth, where you'll find the intersection of faith and true crime. So if some of you are true crime fans out there or even not, you're going to really, really love what we're going to be talking about today. She has like over 100 episodes uh, already, and she has been featured in the Spark Media Magazine, Podcast Magazine, and she is also a private investigator. She had a lifelong interest in true crime, and it led her to become a paralegal in the private investigator and, you know, doing this podcast now. So it is fascinating stuff because she is called to encourage Christians to become PIs, which actually is in Lori's terminology, persons of impact. And she wants more people to get out of the audience and into the action. And she actually invites people into the action through her show. So it's amazing. We want to be persons of impact, not persons of interest, right, Lori? Welcome to the show. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And yes, we we (laughs) want to avoid being persons of interest, but I know everybody has the ability to be a person of impact. Amen. I just, I love that so much. And I just really think it's fascinating that you're a private investigator and all the things that you're doing. I love listening to the podcast because you have really amazing stories on there and doing so much good and getting the word out about things. And so I would love, Lori, if you would share a little bit more about your story. I know we touched a little bit on how you got into this, but if you could go a little bit more in depth on how you got into doing all of these things and how the podcast came about and how you're taking action where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Oh, of course. I'd love to share. 
um, it's, it's kind of funny because I never just woke up one day and said, I really think I need to be a pride investigator and I need to have a podcast, Mm -hmm. but you know, God puts these callings on us that we don't always recognize or accept at first. And then he just draws us in. And that's really how it happened with me. Like you said, I I had a lifelong interest in just the true crime stories. Mm -hmm. I think, I think people at heart are just, we're, we're creatures that love stories. And so my first job out of college was in a probation department, even though I was an English major. (laughs) And so, you know, God just kept kind of pulling me back to, to this field. And then I went back to school to get training as a paralegal and was actually working a corporate job because my kids wanted to go to college and corporate work paid better than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, felt like I wanted to make more of a difference or an impact kind of one-on-one with people. And I was watching the news. I had been following a local case. A young woman had been abducted and raped and murdered. And it it felt very personal to me because she was about the same age as my oldest daughter. And they even looked a little bit alike. So I had followed that case. And as they were sentencing the men who had uh, abused and killed her, they focused on a private investigator that the family had hired. And it was a woman which struck me as being a little bit unusual. And so that was fascinating. And I realized that she was working pretty close to where I lived. And so I just thought, I wonder if, you know, skills that I already have as a paralegal, maybe they could be helpful. So I sent her a message on her website and she probably thought I was crazy. I just, hi, you don't know me, but here I am and I want to help. And so we actually had lunch, we hit it off, and I started just, you know, helping organize things. She was getting ready to put on a seminar, teaching people about kind of the ins and outs of cold cases. Mm -hmm. And as we worked, as I did more, she said, you know, you could do this. You could be a PI. And that had just never even occurred to me. But I thought, you know, if, if I can make a bigger impact by being licensed and being able to do different things that I can't do without a license, then I should probably look into that. And so I started working, really, really enjoyed it. And we we were coming back from, from an investigation one time and we were talking. She actually had a podcast that she used to drive tips to cold cases that she was working on. And it was very successful. And we just kind of were thinking out loud, you know, why don't more investigators use that as a tool or, you know, tell stories to kind of educate the public about what we do. And just kind of jokingly, since I had been an English major, I said, well, somebody needs to do like a true crime book podcast, a review or something. And she smiled and said, well, Lori, that's your podcast. Wow. And so I, I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought, oh no. Oh, but if I did, it would kind of look like this. And so the more I thought about it, and uh, a friend of mine was kind of brainstorming with me, and she said, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there, especially in the true crime genre. And so you, you'd you need to be different. You'd need to stand out. And you're an investigator, and that is a little bit different. She said, but what really makes you unique is your faith. And I thought, wow, she's right. And so what really began as an opportunity to take these stories And find out how, with our faith, do we wrestle through these big topics of 
forgiveness, redemption, the nature of evil, things like that. You know, God really moved me and said, you know, those are great, but there's also people that just flat out need practical right now help. And so I started doing some features of unsolved cases, whether they were missing persons or homicides. And I was doing one of those this December for what I called the 12 cases of Christmas. We highlighted over the month, 12 different missing person or unsolved homicide cases. And there was a county in North Carolina, Robeson County, that has the largest indigenous population east of the Mississippi. And they have a really high crime rate among the indigenous people, lots of unsolved homicides, lots of missing people. And so I reached out to a Facebook group that was dedicated to this and they were so warm. They were so welcoming. Really, I wanted to be able to just get permission. Can I post a link to this episode when it goes live? If you feel like that's disrespectful to victims, families that are in this group, then I won't do it. And they said, no, we would love to have any attention these cases can get. And then other people started chiming in. My uncle was killed three years ago. There are no leads. My brother's missing. And I just thought, wow, how can I mobilize people to help with this? And so I've got some projects um, kind of in the works. So if people want to, you know, keep keep tuning in, keep visiting the website to see where things go, but uh, getting people the opportunity to help. You don't all have to become um private investigator PIs, but everybody can become a a different kind of PI and be that person of impact. Mm, That is amazing. It's so cool how God equipped you. And I, I say this so many times that so many people that I talk with, you know, guests on the show and all are doing things they never aspire to do. That just all of a sudden, here it is. God's like, this is what you're doing now. And how he uses other people to speak that into our lives sometimes. Like when, you know, when you were meeting and just like uh, casually having lunch and talking about things and all of a sudden it's like next thing you know, you've got this podcast. And I, I really love that you're doing it from a faith perspective. As she pointed out, it's something that you are unique and this is something that's not out there because there are a lot of true crime podcasts, but you know, it's so cool how you are helping people and getting the word out. Cause you know, I used to love to watch the show unsolved mysteries, right? People would oh yeah, love that show and you know, and it would have that number you could call at the end if you had any tips or anything. And I know that you do that on your show And so how has that been for you over the course of time as your podcast continues to grow and get out there? It seems like you probably get a lot of leads. Usually I give the number to the the investigating agency Mm -hmm. so that people can contact them directly. Mm -hmm. And so I I really don't have a metric, any way of knowing how many uh, tips have been called in based on anything that they they heard or saw. Mm Uh, on the website or the podcast, but you know, that, that would be it, it just amazing if I ever found out that because someone heard that they called in a tip that really made a difference in a case, yeah. because, you know, I think people underestimate sometimes what they know. Mm-hmm. They may have seen something, they may have heard a comment and they feel like, you know, surely someone has told the police that, or, 
you know, this is just a little bit of information. It can't possibly help. But sometimes, you know, it's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm. That one small piece is the one that finally makes everything else make sense. The, The picture is suddenly developed by that one piece being there. And so, um, you know, I just constantly encourage people, if you know something, you know, that, that could have been your loved one and you would want people to come forward. And you certainly, you know, if it's someone who has committed more than one crime, you want to be able to stop future things from happening. And so you never know how huge an impact a small step that you take might have. That's so encouraging, you know, especially for a listener out there who might either have seen something at one time and thought, well, it's probably nothing. I'm making too much of it. Or may sometime down the road after hearing this show, see something and it would cause them to take some kind of action and get involved like you encourage them to do, which is what we all really need to do, you know, is to take action and to be there to help with any information that we can provide. And so, and I love on your show how you have guests that come on and oftentimes they're stories that have been like in books have been written about them or like you say, cold cases and things like that. So tell me, how do you discover the different cases that you cover on your podcast? Sometimes it's just stories that have fascinated me and I might reach out to the author and you know see if they're willing to talk about it or I've had people that have heard the podcast that reach out to me and say hey I was involved in this type of situation a lot of times I will just kind of pull from my network of people PIs that I have worked with or again authors other podcasters because I think getting a a varied sense of how lots of people from lots of different walks of life see these issues is really, really helpful because they're not typically issues that we really talk about much at church. Mm -hmm. It's really funny when, you know, people for the first time meet me and, you know, you get around to the inevitable question, so what do you do? And I tell people that I'm a private investigator, they kind of take a step back. And they look around and then they'll kind of whisper, I loved your crime. <laughs> I'm like, and it's okay. That's it, not a bad thing. You yeah, don't have to you say that out loud. You don't have to hide that from people because, you know, when when God puts those interests in our heart, mm-hmm. I I don't think it's, you know, something that that makes it shameful or, you know, he's convicting us. Mm-hmm. He wants us to dig deeper and see what he has to say about these subjects. Um, I remember one episode I had, the story basically was about a man who had terrorized the county he lived in his entire adult life. He was stealing from people. He had many, many underaged, and I'm using air quotes here, wives. Um, He was just a terrible, awful person who hurt a lot of people. And the the police were even afraid of him. They would not go out on calls where they felt like he was um, the person behind things because they were so scared of how violent he was. And finally, one day, someone just shot him in the middle of the street in the middle of town. 
dozens, if not hundreds of witnesses who all said, I didn't see anything. I don't know who did that. Mm -hmm. And so no one was ever convicted of, of his murder. And we talked about, you know, is that okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's sort of defense of a third person, not, not imminent defense, but you know, what do you do when you have someone wreaking havoc on your community and no legal remedy has worked? Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. You know, what do you do when you have someone wreaking havoc on your community and no legal remedy has worked? And, you know, we didn't we didn't come to any conclusion, my guest and I. Mm -hmm. But I think those are things that we have to think about. I've interviewed people who have served time in prison. And then we talk about, you know, what is forgiveness and redemption and a redeemed life Mm -hmm. look like? And do you have people that still keep you at arm's length because you were that guy that was in prison or that girl? Mm -hmm. You know, what does that look like? And so I think those are things that, you know, when you search the scriptures, that's, that's at the heart of God's heart and Jesus's ministry. You know, he said, visit the people that are in prison. Mm -hmm. You believe it or not, there are true crime stories in the Bible. And a lot of them we think are probably like Old Testament type stuff. But you think about the story of the Good Samaritan. There's a true crime story right there. This guy is beaten and robbed and left for dead. Two, quote, religious people walk right on past him, offer him no help, not even a, hey, dude, I'll pray for you. And then the person least likely in their eyes to help him stops and helps. And when the man who is whose questions to Jesus prompted Jesus to tell this story, Jesus finally kind of turns the tables on him and says, okay, so who do you think was this man's neighbor? And the guy answers the one who had mercy on him. And when you look up that word in the Greek, I will probably mispronounce it, but um, Elios, that, that idea of mercy, the one who had mercy on him. That's not only a feeling of compassion, but it's a feeling that moves you to want to help. And Jesus tells him, yes, now go and do likewise. So, you know, is mercy really mercy if we don't put action behind it? Yeah, that's great. And how amazing, too, that you brought up that particular Bible application, you know, how it applies to us in our life and how it applies to true crime, you know, and all of that. So that's really fascinating. And it's encouraging, too, how you help other people think about that, you know, about putting action and not just walking past somebody, even if you wanted to help them but just kind of ignore it or, you know, feel sorry for somebody, but not actually do anything about it. And so that's a great one. Do you have another story that you could um, use an example of? Like another Bible story or like something from my work? Well, both. Well, you know, like I said, there's a lot of true crime stories in the Bible. Um, You've got rape, you've got theft, Mm -hmm. you've got, there's even a serial killer in the old Testament. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say who it is. I want to see if anybody knows. So find me on social media <laughs> and send me a message. If you know who 
the serial killer in the Old Testament is. But I, th- I think more than any individual story, it's just the teaching that, you know, all of us are, are dark in our hearts mm-hmm. with, without Christ, without that Holy Spirit regenerating us. We all are one step away, one bad decision away from being that perpetrator. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the reasons that I named the podcast The Unlovely Truth. It's things we don't want to think about. You know, we're not going to be a victim. That always happens to somebody else. We're not going to be that person that does something terrible. We would never do that. But the truth is, we're much closer to that than we realize because none of us at our core are any different. We all have that fallen nature. And that's another thing that that really throws people because we like law and order. We like justice. Um, Mm -hmm. sometimes bordering on revenge when we get something that's a really emotionally charged case. But we have to step back and remember, okay, even the people who have committed these atrocious acts, yes, they need to pay for them. Yes, they do have a debt to society as well as to the individuals that they've wronged. But at the end of the day, just like me, they are dearly loved children of God. And so I have to constantly remind myself of that so that I don't come at my work from a perspective of I'm the good guy, you're the bad guy, I've got the answers and you don't. Yeah. And um, that was good earlier too, when you were talking about how we're kind of drawn into things because we love to seek things and to find out things. And, and I know, like you had said earlier too, that God put that in us to seek, to seek answers. And um, yeah, he is a God of justice, but you're so right, Lori, that we can't even trust our own hearts. Our hearts are deceitful and we can't sometimes even trust our own motives. You know, sometimes we really have to give it to God and say, you know, why, why am I doing it this way? Is it a pure, you know, what is, what is my motive here? My motivation, is it pure or not or what? So, um, so thanks for pointing that out and just the awareness too, because there's the stories that you bring on your show are so eye opening because we don't even realize sometimes that these things can happen right in our very own backyard or, you know, like you were saying, people feel like they're immune to these things, but that's not the case because there is evil in the world. And so tell us a little bit about some of the things you've talked. I know you have really commented on how astronomical the missing persons statistics are and all of that. It, it really is shocking. Um, even for me, even in this, you know, this job that I do and the things that I've seen, I, I still get shocked sometimes. And I can't imagine the heartbreak of not knowing. If, if I had a loved one who was missing, I just cannot imagine the heartbreak of not knowing. And, you know, I've talked with victims where people will call in false tips, and I can't imagine the cruelty of anyone that would be willing to do that either, to get people's hopes up or to misdirect them for whatever their reasons are. But one person that I interviewed, her words just have really resonated with me ever since I talked with her. She had had a daughter who 
was murdered and she went on to become a victim's advocate herself. And so after she had had some healing time, she then would help people who were newly going through a situation like she had and walk with them because she knew she understood what they were going through. And I asked her, you know, how hard is that for you? Because doesn't it bring up, you know, your own pain and and the trauma that you've been through? And she said, oh, it heals my heart. And I just thought, wow, to be able to get to a place where you are willing to take your own pain and relive it for the benefit of someone else. You know, to me, that is just such a living embodiment of Romans 8, 28. God can take all things and bring good from them. Now, I, I, I don't mean to imply that God causes these things to happen so that he can then use them as a springboard. They happen because we live in a fallen world. But once they have happened, only a God like our God could find a way to redeem those ashes for beauty. Amen. That's so beautiful in how she expressed that it was healing for her heart Mm -hmm. too, to be able to help someone, to be able to see how God could use her pain and, you know, bring restoration in someone else's life and use it for a purpose and that's really beautiful. And it, it is, you know, it is a hard thing. And you hear a lot of hard things too, Lori. So how do you combat those things? What do you find most effective in being able to, because sometimes it seems like a lot of this stuff can be really heavy. So how do you combat that? That's a great question. And it, it can be really, really heavy. And there are times where I just have to sit and say, okay, God, I I, I just need you. I just need to feel your presence. I need to feel your spirit. Um, of course, staying in the word, staying with a community of faithful Christ followers is just essential. You know, being involved in your local church with a small group, with a group who serves, probably for me, and this this sounds like it wouldn't be helpful at first, but it actually is. Um, I actually am involved with uh, jail ministry. And so I go in with some other ladies and we uh, do some Bible study with some ladies who are incarcerated in our local jail. And that seems like it would just be further (laughs) difficult, depressing circumstances. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is. These women, for the most part, have really lived a difficult life. But hearing their stories has made me, I think, much more empathetic and sympathetic, which which helps me deal with things a lot better. Um, you know, I had one woman I was ministering to, she was in her early 20s and had a 12-year-old child because she'd been abused and impregnated at a very young age. And I just thought, you know, it's so easy to say, you know, well, you're in jail because you did this, so you deserved it. You you stole your own drugs, whatever it was. Yeah. But I'm thinking, okay, if I'd been through what she had been through, how would I have handled that? Mm-hmm. What what unhealthy coping mechanisms might I have adopted, mm-hmm. which is what has landed her here? But she was recognizing that and she was wanting to make changes in her life. And to me, that is just so, so 
encouraging. You know, you're, yeah. you're never too far down. You're never too far out that the love of God cannot touch you and cannot make your life better. What a beautiful ministry. And it's true because, you know, you hear that saying that hurt people hurt people. And just, you know, on a background of kind of counseling and things that I've also talked with women about in finding that there's so many things that manifest in their life and behaviors that come from a deeper hurt mm-hmm. or something in the past that's happened, like you, you were saying, you know, abuse and just all kinds of things. And not that they're excuses, but the fact being that it makes you understand, have a better understanding of how these things come about. But I love how you were mentioning earlier too about forgiveness, mm-hmm. because that is so important. And I wrote a, um, you know, just a really quick read. It, it was a, a book I self-published in 2016 called Goodbye Regret, Forgiving Yourself of Past Mistakes. And I gave those out to some different places, um, you know, prison ministries and pregnancy centers and things like that. Nice. And yeah, and it just, you know, because women, sometimes it's hard for them to forgive themselves of the things that they've done. And even though knowing that God has forgiven them, if they, you know, truly repented and asked for it. So I think it's beautiful that you are involved in this ministry and how it all just connects to the things that he has you doing. And I, I was raised so sheltered, which, you know, I didn't fully appreciate until I started doing more of this work. (laughs) You know, we throw around the phrase there, but for the grace of God, go I. But when we stop and really think about that, how many of us have made very poor decisions in our past about who to spend time with, um, certain activities to be involved with, but for whatever reason, we didn't have tragic consequences because of those decisions that we made or those actions that we took. And a lot of the people that I've met in this ministry they are not that different. They just got caught. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think when you when you look at it that way, it also helps you to have a tremendous amount of compassion. And my very first guest, my, my very first episode, she had a ministry at the Tennessee State Women's Prison. She started a choir and directed the choir. And you know, there's, there's levels of incarceration. I go to what's called a workhouse. And so very low level offenders that have a a, a really good chance of being successful post-release. Then you've got jails, which are a little bit harder, harder time. And then you've got prisons. And that's really reserved for some of the worst cases of the worst. And so she was in there. She had women that were on death row, She had women that were lifers. She had um, women that were relatives. At one point, I think she said she had daughter, mother, and grandmother who were all what they call charge partners. They had all participated in the same crime. And so they were all in there together. And she said she was talking to a woman one time who was a little skeptical, I think, of, of my friend's efforts to help. And finally, the lady looked at her and said, have you ever had to sell yourself because that was the only way you could feed your children? And she said, no, I have not. And so I think when we step back and say, you know, I have never been in that position. I've never even been remotely close to being in that position. 
And so I, I really need to take a step back on my judgment on being, you know, kind of patronizing. I'm here to help you, you poor criminal person. Yeah. Because we don't, we don't know their stories. Like, you know, you're my project that I've been sent to fix or, you know, something, but no, no, it's, it's about love and, and compassion, like you said, and, and ministering to their hearts and listening to their stories because yeah. that's so important. And there has to be accountability. When you have broken the law, there has to be accountability. There have to be um, some consequences. And like mm-hmm. you said earlier, we're not trying to make excuses, but when you do know someone's story, sometimes there's at least explanations. Mm-hmm. And I think when we learn those things and we know those things, that's when we really can figure out what, what we can do to help. Because I tell people the vast majority of people that are going to be incarcerated are going to end up back on the streets. So even just from a very practical standpoint, don't we want them coming out better than than they were when they went in? Right. Yeah. We want them to have coping skills. We want them to understand what resources are available to them. Mm -hmm. And what a transformation if they incarcerated and they hear the gospel and their life is transformed. That's amazing. Tremendously. I had an episode where I interviewed a man who had been in the mafia. I mean, the New York, you would recognize some of these names from the newspaper mafia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he ended up in jail as quite a large percentage of them do. That lifestyle will catch up with you sooner or later. And he found Jesus in jail. And it was not just a jailhouse conversion. He has been faithful for many, many years. And he is in ministry. And I just think, you know, what if the the meetings, the gatherings, the the mentors that came in, what if they had not been there for him? You know, would he have been able to turn this around? I hate to say on his own, because you can always have, you know, kind of a road to Damascus sort of thing going on. But um, it's just, it's critical to be there for people. Yeah. They don't, they're not going to understand the love of Jesus if they can see that you despise them. Right. Yeah. And, you know, to go from that kind of mindset of darkness to into the light and now mm-hmm. being able to walk out of there and be involved in kingdom work. That is amazing. Uh, I remember years ago, one of the pastors on staff, he knew of a family and he invited them because he was involved in prison ministry. He invited them to come and speak at our church. And what happened was this woman was murdered by her husband. And the people on stage, if I remember correctly, it was the husband that did that crime. And then it was the father of the woman who died. And I'm not sure exactly how he could be out, or maybe it was not like a first degree or something, mm-hmm. or you you know more about <laughs> that than I do. But somehow he was out and he was up there on the platform and given a testimony of just this unmerited favor and this forgiveness that was just such a beautiful message because, you know, sometimes people can get petty about stuff like, oh, I'm not forgiving them for that, you know, or that or that, you know, and it could be just kind of a minor infraction. And then you have this person who was responsible for your daughter's death. And then you're forgiving that person and how 
we just overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So it's just so powerful. And that's what you're bringing to Lori, which is so awesome on your show. And I, I remember that episode with, uh, with the woman with the choir. Yeah, she was great. So, and I have to, I don't know. I missed the other one. I need to check that one out um, with the, the mafia guy. Anyway, so I would love if you would share, first of all, how does someone become a private investigator? Because that's kind of something I'm interested. I'm not interested in being <laughs> one, but just like there might be a listener that might be interested in. Yeah, I think maybe that's something I might want to do. How would they do that? What would be the first step? Well, the first step would be to get on your state government website to see if the state you live in requires licensing. Most of them do. I think there's three, four, maybe five that don't, which which I don't advocate for. I, I think we should be licensed. We should be held to certain standards. So find out if your state requires a license. And if it does, which it probably will, since most do, just find out what they're going to require of you. Are you going to have to take classes Um, you're most likely going to have to pass a test. You're certainly going to have to pass a background check. And it's, uh, it's the intense one. It's the go get your fingerprints taken and they ship it off to the FBI. So, Mm. you know, you'll just have to comply with whatever they have. Some states will require you to find an agency to work with. Other states only require you to find someone who will supervise your work So you don't have to be an actual employee of theirs. You can do kind of your freelance thing. Mm -hmm. So the best place to find that is just, you know, go to yourstates.gov. And I wish I could tell you exactly where to find it. Some states put it under like their safety division, public safety. Uh, In Tennessee, where I'm at, it's actually under the insurance division. I really don't understand why, but that's where Mm -hmm. we are for now. Um, So just, you know, page around till you find that see what is uh, required of you. And then I would call. There's almost always a contact phone number there where you can call the agency that oversees the licensing. And then you can just ask for more explanation. Or you can say, all right, I see what what's down here. How do most people accomplish that? You know, what would be my next step? Who can I call? Or just Google your state's private investigator group. Most states have one. And a lot of times it will end in ALI, Association of Licensed Investigators. So like Tennessee's is Tally, Florida is, um, I think, Fally or something. Texas is also Tally, I believe. So they would also, I'm sure, be very happy to answer questions and, you know, just give you next steps. Oh, that's so fascinating. So I would love to, Lori, if you would share, how can the listener connect with you and find your podcast and all the great resources that you have? Oh, sure. My podcast is available on all of the major podcast players. So if you've already got one that's your favorite, you can just search for The Unlovely Truth. And uh, you can also go to my website, theunlovelytruth.com. And there's a listen now button and you can find it there. You can connect with me on social media, The Unlovely Truth on Facebook and The Unlovely Truth podcast on Instagram. And I uh, will often drop links to the podcast there when new shows come out. And I'm pretty easy to find. You can email me, Lori, um, that's L-O-R-I 
at theunlovelytruth.com if you have uh, questions, if I can help you with anything. So I love to hear from people, would love to know how I can serve them better, what they would like to hear on the podcast. So yeah, I, I hope some people reach out. Nice. I do too, because you'll, you'll come out and you'll speak. You, you're available for speaking yes. engagements, yes. right? And also you're actively serving as a private investigator too. So, you know, there's a lot of facets to Lori Madison. <laughs> and so I'm just blessed to know you and I just appreciate you coming on the show today, Lori. It's been so great having you on. Thank you. And I love what you're doing. I love that your podcast is called Fierce Calling because you know, whether you're a private investigator or whatever your calling is, if it's a calling from God, it's a fierce one. Thank you, friend. Yeah. And I hope to have you on again, then get into what you actually do when you go out and investigate. That would be great. I love telling behind the scenes stories. They're not always as interesting as you might think, but, uh, but they're fun. Well, I would love that. So we'll have to have a part two. So anyway, well, thank you, Lori, so much. God bless you in the ministry work that you are doing. And I will talk to you soon, friend. Oh, you too, Doris. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. Wasn't that so fascinating? All the things that Lori was talking about that she's involved in and, you know, from her private investigating to her podcast and all the people she talks with and her prison ministry. And I just pray that this touched your heart in some way. If God is speaking to you about moving in the direction of perhaps serving in prison ministry or other ways that you can use your gifts uh, similarly to what Lori does to help people heal and find hope. And so I love the quotes from the show. And one of the quotes I really love that Lori said was, you're never too far down. You're never too far out that the love of God cannot touch you and cannot make your life better. Amen to that. Friend, I know someone needed to hear that today. And I love how she talked about Romans 8.28 because God truly does work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So friend, I hope that you'll think of me when you are booking your next women's event. So reach out to me at doraswift.com or at womenspeakers.com and check out my profile. Send me a message and let's chat about that. And also remember to download the Edify app and listen to Fierce Calling and a lot of other amazing shows and Lori's show too. I love her show so much, The Unlovely Truth. And I hope you join me next time when I talk with another woman who's taking action where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, friend, have a blessed week and I'll talk to you soon.